Well, here we are. We're finally at the end. How many people were here back in March when I started this series? Okay, a good number of you. When you I've got this on good word. When you get to heaven, if you'll tell the Lord that you endured the entire series, there's actually a special reward for that. So you just make note of that, 2009. We have been in a long series called What Is? And we've looked at a lot of questions like, what is the Bible? What is God? What is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit? We've looked at what is sin? What is salvation? The last couple of weeks, or last actually two months, we've been looking at what is the end. And in looking at what is the end, we've looked at what is the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium. Uh, favorite one, we looked at the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Last week we had it, I, I just think, so exciting, we looked at what is heaven. And that, that is so incredible, so wonderful, so much fun. Folks, that's our hope, that is our motivation to look at that. What is heaven? Now, if you're here today for the first time, not so much fun. Today we go to the other end. And today we ask, not as much a fun issue to look at, but boy is it important, we answer the question, what is hell? Let's look and see how Jesus describes that. Would you turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13? If you don't have a Bible with you, we want you to be able to read along with us. There's a Bible in the chairs in front of you. If it's not right in front of you, hopefully there's one close enough you can point to it and somebody will hand it to you. Matthew chapter 13, first book there in the New Testament, Matthew 13, and I'm going to read two verses, verse 41 and 42. Matthew 13, verse 41 and 42. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The Son of Man will send out His angels. And they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And therein is Jesus' quick, accurate description of hell. There is in Christianity a, a doctrine, a belief that is very uncomfortable. And it is the idea that one day vast numbers of people will be consigned to hell. As a matter of fact, I think I could take you to a, a number of passages that would suggest a majority of people will be consigned to hell. Some of those people will be people that, that you and I know and, and care about and love. Because we all have people, don't we? That we know and care about and love that have no faith in Christ, have no life in Christ. Very uncomfortable to look at, not, not a fun part of our faith and our doctrine. Easier to ignore. You know, folks, I'll be honest with you, I kind of laugh when, when people tell me, well, I, I don't like going to church because you know, they always preach fire and brimstone there. You know, they're only telling you how long it's been since they've been to church. Because unfortunately today, I think the reality of the average Christian experience is that you can go to church for years and never hear a single sermon on hell. It's just easier to ignore. It's just easier not to deal with. But is it helpful? Is it ever going to be helpful to ignore the truth? 
And we're going to come today, as we've done in all of these questions, and try to understand not what this denomination or that denomination did. We're going to try to look at what does God say? What what has he introduced? What has he said about this? And folks, as we seek to evaluate what God is saying, as we seek to understand that, we need to understand what's not a part of understanding what God has said. What is not a part of that is our comfort level. What is not a part of that is man's ideas. What is not a part of that is our ability to explain it. Folks, our only standard in this is what does God say? What does God say? Now, as we begin to answer this question, let me tell you something that's not going to be a part of it. I think this has kind of become a, a common way of thinking, a common belief, but, it, but it's not a part of a discussion of hell, and that is the topic or the place purgatory. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that idea, the idea of purgatory. It is, by the way, a great place to go skiing in southern Colorado, but not a part of our discussion this morning. Purgatory is a place, you like that? Uh, purgatory is a, a place that is, is kind of, I guess you'd say, between heaven and hell. It, you, you go to purgatory and you live out a hell-like existence. You, you live out a hell-like punishment. And then when you, for lack of a better word, when you've served your time, when, when you've worked out what was left undone on earth, then there is the opportunity to still be redeemed out of there and on into hell. Now, the reason I don't uh, uh, believe in a purgatory is, is twofold. Number one, the concept that we will go anywhere in this life or in the afterlife and work it out. That, that I'll work my way into heaven, that I'll work out the wrong that has been done is absolutely contradictory to anything said in Scripture. Scripture is very clear over and over and over, Old Testament and New Testament, your works, your this set of good works, this kind of good work, your religious jumping through rituals and hoops will not get you into heaven. So, so the concept that I'm going to go somewhere and work my way to heaven is, is absolutely a contradiction to what God has already said. A second reason I, I don't believe in a purgatory is because God never introduced to us a purgatory. Folks, that's something invented by people. There is nowhere in Scripture where you'll find the word purgatory. There is nowhere in Scripture where you'll find the concept, the idea of a purgatory. It's not there. So we can't discuss what God says about purgatory because He never said anything about that. So that's not a part of our discussion. Now, when we, when we look at the New Testament, it gives us three words. There, there are three words that describe the afterlife of the unsaved. The first word is Hades. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we answered the question, where do people go when they die? Now, we would, generally speaking, we would say, well, they go to heaven or they go to hell. But we saw that, that God is going to introduce heaven to us. He's going to bring a new heaven later in the future. We also saw that it's way down the road after the thousand year millennium that there will be a great white throne judgment and God will resurrect all the unsaved. And at that point, they go into hell. So that kind of leads to the question, well, where's everybody right now? Well, we saw the saved go to paradise. They go into the presence of God and the unsaved go to. And you might remember this word. I hope so. From the Old Testament, they go to Sheol. And the New Testament equivalent of that word is Hades. Sheol and Hades are a hell-like experience. Your judgment begins. 
You know you've missed it. You're, you're separated from God, but it's not eternal. That's not the actual hell. That's where you go until the great white throne judgment. So the New Testament uses that word Hades. It also uses the word Gehenna. And that's the word you will most often see in Scripture defined as hell or hellfire. It is always described in an eternal sense. It's not temporary. It is eternal. And then another word, Tartaros. This is a, another word. It's kind of uh, synonymous with Gehenna. It's also translated hell. Now, folks, in all of those passages that you just saw there, you might have noticed quite a few of them were in the Gospels. You might be surprised to hear that Jesus actually speaks about hell more than any other New Testament writer or speaker. He speaks about it. He defines it. He talks about hell more than anybody else. So as we come today to say, what does God say? What does the Bible say? We're going to look at it this way. What has Jesus taught us about hell? What are his statements about hell? And I want to show you four things that Jesus says about hell. First of all, he describes it as a place that people go for an eternal punishment. Now, folks, when I talk about the comfort level of man, we're not comfortable with that idea eternal. But do you know what? Every single time Jesus speaks about the place or the punishment, it's eternal. There's no other time frame given. And we're not comfortable with that. So you know what we do? We just dismiss Jesus. Well, we just dismiss God's word. You know, he, he probably didn't mean that. This is what Jesus meant. You, you go to hell and this is one view. You go to hell, you kind of serve your sentence and then you're annihilated because it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be right for somebody to be punished for all eternity. Or, or another view is like the, the kind of the purgatory view that, that, that you go there, you'll, you'll serve your time, you'll serve this punishment, and then God's love will finally sweep you out of heaven because obviously God will not bear to have people in hell. You know, folks, interestingly enough, God says over and over and over, He does not at all relish the thought of people in hell. He takes no pleasure in that. The great white throne judgment is not something that God's just frothing at the mouth, can't wait to get to, can't wait to cast those awful people into hell. Scripture says nothing like that. Ezekiel 18.32 is an Old Testament passage. 2 Peter 3.9 is a New Testament passage that say quite the opposite, that God does not relish this moment. Folks, you know what? God has warned us over and over and over and over about hell. He has warned us. He has told us, Hell or heaven is not your default location. Folks, unless something changes, you are not born into this world on your way to heaven. You are on your way to hell unless something changes. And in God's love, He not only warns us of that, but He provides the way. He provides for us the way to escape eternal judgment. Folks, when, when, when people go to hell, it's because they've rejected God's love. They have rebelled against God's love. They have rebelled against God's law. He's warned them over and over. So God has not done anything wrong in making that eternal. They are really getting what they have asked for. What does Jesus say about hell? He says it's a place where people go for eternity. Second thing that he says about hell here is that hell is a blazing, that's the verse we just read, is a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, folks, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of ways to preach on hell. I mean, this might be a good place to, to bring up some of mankind's artwork or depictions of what hell might be like. 
I could take you back to Gehenna and, and talk about the, the, or, uh, where the origin of that word, where it came from and what it referred to and how it's described. We could do a lot of different things, maybe scare us all to death. And by the way, when you're thinking about hell, it probably would be safe to be somewhat scared. But you know, instead of spending a lot of time, can we really get past the absolute simplicity of what Jesus said it was? It's a blazing furnace. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth there. That's what it is. That doesn't really need a lot more explanation, does it? It doesn't need a, a, a lot more elaboration. It just is what it is. Not only is that, but another thing that Jesus said is when you're there in that blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's also not a single second of rest. Not a moment of peace. Never a break. One enjoys nothing in hell. Pity the fool. And that's the only phrase that can be used here. Pity the fool who wears some kind of idiotic t-shirt about I'd rather be in hell with my friends or I'd be in, rather be in hell where the party is. There will be no party in hell. And all of your friends can be in hell with you and you will not enjoy one of them for a single second. The Bible shows us one conversation. It's a story, a parable. Jesus tells this parable. It shows us one conversation of somebody in Hades on their way to hell and he desires not at all that the people he loves are there with him. He begs that somebody go and give his friends who lived like him, his brothers who lived like them, a special warning to not come. Folks, when you're in hell, you will not desire anybody you know and love and care about to be there with you. There's not a single moment of rest from the agony. Fourth thing that, that Jesus says about hell, he describes it as a lake of fire and he tells us who is in it Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all unsaved of all time. Now you look at that reference and say, well, that's in Revelation. I thought we were looking at what Jesus says about hell. But if you go to Revelation chapter 1, John is recording this revelation. Do you remember where John got the revelation from? Jesus. Revelation 1 says this is a revelation of Jesus. So John is writing what Jesus showed him about hell. And he said it's a lake of fire. Those who are there are in torment forever and ever. As we've gone throughout this series, I've tried on, on different questions. You know, I'll stop and say, now, there's different views. You know, th this group of people kind of looks at these verses this way. Another group kind of looks at it this way. And then I'll tell you kind of where I fall and why and kind of bounce it back around like that. You know, when we come to the issue of hell, th there's really no place to do that. There's not a lot of different views. There's not a lot of different ways of looking at it. I mean, folks, of all the issues in Scripture, this one is, and again, I use this word, frighteningly clear. Any passage you read on hell, it is very clear what it is, who's going there, how long it is, and what happens there. Very clear. There's not a lot of different ways to take this and look at it. Now, people do come up with different views of hell. But it's not over a debate of how we interpret this word or this passage. Or, you know, we look at Scripture and we see this. It's, it goes back to what I said a moment ago. I'm just, I'm just not comfortable with what God has said about hell. 
I, I, I just don't believe that's the way it can be. And, and so man has come up with different views of hell based on questions like, can a loving God really send people to hell? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of us have kind of had that thought pass through our mind. I mean, God's so loving. Isn't that how we always look at God? Jesus? Might be hard to think. Jesus talks about hell more than... I thought Jesus was just loving and kind and didn't really care about what anybody did. Or we say, well, you know, gosh, is that fair to send people to hell when, you know, they were trying to pursue God. They, they took on the God of their culture. I mean, folks, you, I mean... I guess we would all say, surely one of the reasons we're, we're probably a Christian, we're born in America, right? I mean, the greater chance of getting introduced to Christianity and Jesus if you're born in America than, say, Iran. I mean, we're all somewhat shaped by our culture. So, you know, if, if somebody, a lot of people around the world and other cultures, if they were trying to pursue the, the God that their culture put in front of them, they, they did the best. They, they were trying. Doesn't that count for something? Or maybe we ask the question, what about people who have to, to no fault of their own ne never knew Jesus, never heard the gospel? Well, we go back to that question, and this is where we dismiss eternity. I just can't believe hell can be forever. I'm just not comfortable with that. Remember what I said at the beginning? I'm not the standard. My comfort level, your comfort level is not what truth is based on. Now, folks, there's a lot of questions about hell and what's happening there. They're not necessarily a problem with Scripture, but just a problem with ourselves. And I think all these kinds of questions, and there's more than this, really come down to two questions we have. Number one, is God really loving and just? Because in our concept of, a, of an eternal hell, an eternal judgment, that just seems to call into question how loving or how just he would be to do that. Is he really loving and just? Folks, in God's justice, he has created a place where people go who rebel against him, who rebel against his law, rebel against his character. That's absolutely just. You, you, you can't debate that. There is a place, there is a punishment for wrong. God in his love has provided an escape from that justice. God in His love not only provided the scape, but He came back and paid the price of what justice demands. Folks, hell is not a statement about God's love. Hell is not talking about what, what God has done. Hell is a statement about our rejection of God's love and our rejection of God's justice. Man, I think that's a great line right there. I should have wrote my name by that quote. I thought on that all week long. That's one of the most profound things I've ever said. Let me say it again. Folks, hell's not a statement about God's love. It's a statement about people's rejection of that love. It's a statement about people's rejection of that justice. There's no question about God's love or justice here. The second issue I think that all questions kind of relate around is... Is man basically good? I mean, yeah, he, you know, he, he picked the wrong religion, but he was trying. He picked one. Or, or to no fault of his own, he didn't choose Jesus. Or, or, you know, he was trying to be a pretty good person. Oh, yeah, I mean, okay, I told a lie. Sorry. You know, I was grumpy one day. 
Okay, there was that little period in my life where things didn't go so well. I mean, y'all, but I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. I am basically a pretty good person, though. And so if I am a basically pretty good person, then hell doesn't seem fair. Again, I go back to what I said a moment ago. The, the punishment doesn't seem to match the crime. Certainly not hell for all eternity. So we've got to ask the question, am I basically good? And the answer is absolutely not. The scripture has been very, very clear that man is not basically good. Now, we might say, well, God, that's not fair because I was I was born into a bad family. I had bad parents. Or, or God, I was born in the wrong part of the world. You know, or, or God, if I had a better environment. No, no. God's already proved what we do with a perfect environment. We had Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect environment. They lived in a face to face relationship with God. What did they do? They rebelled. God's going to come to the other end of time in the millennium, and it won't be just two people in the garden. It'll be an entire planet that, again, will be living in a perfect environment, a perfect world, in a face-to-face relationship with God. And, and, and a multitude of them will do what? Rebel. We're not basically good people, just given the right environment. Well, well if, if I had the truth. Now, folks, truth is a big part of us getting changed. But our not having the truth is not what makes us good or bad. We've always had the truth. There's nobody that's not walked on this planet that hasn't had the truth. And there's a spectrum of how much truth. But folks, we've always had, every person on this planet has always had enough truth to take the next step. And God's always faithful when people are pursuing. God says, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You're faithful with the truth I've given you, you get more truth. We've always had truth. The Israelites had truth. They, had, they saw the miracles and the work of God. They had the Ten Commandments and, and they built a golden calf. And there's unbelievers who, who ignore all the truth around them. But how about this, folks? How about believers? How about you and me? We've got truth, don't we? I mean, isn't that why we're sitting here right now? We come, we come in here each Sunday and we, we open God's Word and I, I'm wanting to learn truth. I'm wanting to learn what God says. I'm, I'm wanting to learn what God teaches. And, and we absorb that and we learn about it and we talk about it. We pray over it and we go back out and, and we sin. I mean, who knows more than I? I mean, I know there's a God. I know there is sin. I know God told me not to sin in his love. He tells me the law. I know there's a, a punishment. I know there's a day of accounting. We know all this truth. We still sin. So my being a good or bad person isn't just an issue of me getting the right environment or, or me getting the right knowledge. Folks, we're sinners. That's our nature. We're not basically good. The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark of getting into heaven. It's amazing how clear scripture is. And yet how many people will even in church. I wonder how many today right here in this room are sitting here wondering. Man, I wonder if when I get to heaven, I will have done enough. I wonder if I when I get into heaven, I'll have been good enough. Folks, there's no wonder. There's no mystery. There's no question. God's already answered it. No, no, you haven't been good enough. You missed it. You completely missed it. When did I miss it? Did you, I mean, did you see that year? I went to church 47 out of 52 Sundays. Gosh, that's got to count for something, doesn't it? No, you missed it. Well, well what's the standard? Perfect holiness. 
God is perfect and holy. His heaven is perfect and holy. Guess what? He's not changing all that so you can bring your unholiness and imperfection in there. Does that make sense? Yeah, you've missed the mark. You don't have to wonder whether you're getting in or not. You're not. By yourself, on your own efforts, on your own merit, no, you're not going to heaven. You're not basically good. That's the testimony of Scripture. God looks down on the earth and He says, none are good. Now, we might disagree with that a little bit, wouldn't we? Well, now, wait a minute. What's that? Uh, oh, God. Mother Teresa. Come on, Lord. She was good. Well, what about, what about Billy Graham? He's good. And I'm sure a lot of us in here, we've got people in our lives. Somebody we work with. Somebody we know. Hopefully somebody here in church. Man, they're a good person. They're always encouraging. They're always helpful. You don't ever hear a, a, a sour word come out of their mouth. They're, they're, all, they're just a good person. you got people like that. That's a good person. You know, when you say somebody's good, what are you comparing them to? Other people. You've heard me say that's a little bit like saying, you know what? I'm the best person in prison. I, you know what? In prison, seriously, I am the nicest, the best person you'll find. Of all the criminals, of all the lawbreakers, I'm number one. Very best person you'll want to get to know me. <laughs> Folks, you see how we compare ourselves? We're not the standard. God is the standard. Heaven is the standard. We've missed it. We're not good. Hell is a very real place. Just like we talked about heaven last week, it's real and it's physical. It's not mystical. It's not just an idea. It's a very real and physical place. It is always discussed in an eternal timing. It is always described in the very worst terms, torment, fire, darkness. Hell is the reality of our rejection of God and the exaltation of self. And yes, folks, you can sit in church your entire life and even be called a good church person and be rejecting God and exalting self. What? 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 How would somebody do that? When I exalt my opinion of who and what God is, when I exalt my opinion of how people get to heaven, I'm rejecting what God has revealed about himself. I'm rejecting what God has said as a way to heaven. Folks, God sent his son into this world, his own son. Now, think about that. Think about how defensive you get about your children. Think about how you'll jump if somebody attacks your child. God sent his son into this world to be beaten and crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for your wrongdoing, not his wrongdoing. Our sin's not God's mistake. This world is not God's mistake. This is what we chose. This is what we did. And God sent his son here to pay for it. Now, let's say God steps back from that moment for a second and he says, OK, now this is a way to heaven. This is a way to heaven. I think it's even the best way to heaven. But if you want to come up with your own idea of who God is, you know, if you want to describe me in your own making and, and you want to come up with a way that I ought to allow you into heaven. By the way, folks, this is the predominant thinking of the world today. God's at the top of the mountain. There's a lot of ways up the mountain. You ever heard that? 
Ever heard the idea? You know what? We're all worshiping the same God in the end. Oh, we call him by different names. We look at him a little bit different ways. And we come up with our own ways to get to him. See, folks, that's the exaltation of man. That's the exaltation of my ideas and my way. Now, if God said, my son's a way to heaven, but I will also accept whatever way you want to come up with, wouldn't that be a complete mocking of what his son did? Would, would, would that not be? I mean, if, if we could all just pick a way to get to heaven, then why would God send his son? What a waste. What a waste. Folks, if it is true, if there's a Jesus, if he died on that cross for your sins, it is the only way. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody. Nobody in this denomination or that denomination, no black person, white person, Korean, Chinese, Mexican, no one born in 784 B.C. or 27 A.D. or living today in 2009. Nobody who's good or bad or anywhere else on the spectrum, nobody gets into heaven except through me. Nobody. Do you see the clarity? Is this open to interpretation? I, you know, I get confused when people talk about all the different ways to look at the Bible. You know, it's hard to interpret it. Nobody. How hard is it to interpret that word? Nobody comes to God except through the person of Jesus Christ. When we come to that place of realizing I'm not going to exalt my idea of God and my way of getting to heaven anymore. I'm not going to exalt the life I want to live. I'm not going to exalt myself. But in humility, I'm going to turn from self and I'm going to put myself under Jesus Christ. I'm going to place my confidence in him because I believe God. And I believe what he says when he says, Randy, you're not good and you're not on your way to heaven. Jesus is your escape. Now, what am I going to do with that? I mean, I can accept it. Or I can reject it and ignore it, or I can debate it. For me, it just makes a lot more sense to accept it. I'm going to believe God. There's a hell and Jesus is my way out. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would mold our hearts and our minds to understand your truth. God, convict us of where our ideas about you and getting to you are not of you. Where we have dreamed up, where we have imagined a God of our own making, a way of salvation of our own making. God, may we come to the place in our life where we reject self. And we exalt you and your truth and what you have communicated. Father, I thank you that you rescued me from hell. Not because I deserve it, not because of what I could be, but because you're so gracious and kind. I thank you for warning. I thank you for always telling us the truth. God, I pray now that every person in this room would have the discernment and the wisdom to look in their own heart. To know whether they're a child of God and have been forgiven of their sins and have received the, the gift of salvation, the gift of being rescued from hell. Or whether, God, they're still exalting self and rejecting you.
God, I pray that when we leave here, we live like people who've been rescued from this and have the joy of heaven as our future. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.